It's always a blessing to stand before the family of faith, amen, amen. to be able to be in the house of God uh, one more time, amen. Just earlier this morning, as I was getting ready for worship, got numerous of, of contacts uh, or uh, text messages of people telling me to pray for them as they were not able to make it to worship because of their, their illness or a family member's illness, amen, or because of a circumstance that was going on in their life, and, and I prayed for them. And after praying for them, I just took the time just to thank God for this day because it is truly his grace and his mercy that has allowed all of us to come together to worship. Amen? And every time that we have a chance to gather together with the family of faith and every time that we have a chance to listen to his word together, every time that we have a chance to encourage one another, may we do so with gratitude and thanksgiving, knowing that tomorrow is not promised. Our next second is not promised. David declared in Psalm 146, he said, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will praise him while I have my being. Amen. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm going to praise the Lord. Amen. And touch him again and say, neighbor, I'm going to praise the Lord today. Amen. 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 For this is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. I will be glad in it. Amen. If you would be so kind to turn your Bibles to James chapter 4 as we continue our series, uh, Developing a Mature Faith. James chapter 4, Developing a Mature Faith. I am so grateful for last week and being able to celebrate with you all uh, the 142nd anniversary of this local church. Amen. I'm so grateful to be able to have our guest preachers to come out and have the guest choir in the afternoon and to have you all to come out and celebrate. I'm also grateful for the way that uh, this week has went. On Wednesday, we had our Ask the Pastor uh, question and answer service, uh, and I thought that it went great. We had a wonderful turnout. Uh, of course, that's the time when uh, you all get to ask myself and our, the rest of our ministers any question that you want relating to scripture and relating to life, and we get to answer it on the spot. Amen. And I thought that went well. I'm also grateful for those who uh, took up uh, the mantle yesterday and went out in the community with us as we went uh, to a, a local community and shared the gospel, went door to door, and just talked to people about Christ. Amen. And I'm so grateful for the conversations that came out as a result, for the confession of faith that came out as a result, and prayerfully we're praying for that brother's heart that the Lord will continue to work on him and save him. Amen. Uh, so I'm grateful. I'm grateful. This year is truly the year of courage. That's our thing. Amen. Don't let this year go past without you doing what God has called us to do, and that's be courageous for the Lord. Amen. Tell somebody, say, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Amen. Amen. You do the same thing. You get the same results. Amen. Amen. You stretch yourself a little bit to do more. You grow. Amen. And God helps you to grow. He prunes you. Know what it means to be pruned, amen. It means to be capped and cut, amen, <laughs> and nurtured. James chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, the precious, authentic, inerrant, sufficient, powerful word of God reads, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, 
You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. As we continue our series, Developing a Mature Faith, today we want to pick up this topic that James has been talking about all throughout the book, but specifically we see him emphasizing in James chapter 3, which is uh, how to control the meanest member of the body. Amen. And we know that in James chapter 3, James tells us who the meanest member of the body is. And he says these words in chapter 3, verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Amen. Throughout the book of James, we see this emphasis as he's writing to the church, these dispersed Jews, and telling them the importance of submitting and humbling ourselves to the Lord in order that we would honor him with our mouths. And the reason why is because Jesus said that from the abundance of the heart, from the abundance of the mouth, from the abundance of the heart, amen, uh, our, our words come, okay? So from what we speak, what's in our heart is what our words deliver. About two weeks ago, one of my sisters, uh, my youngest sister, her name is Faith. I have two sisters, uh, one who is older and one is younger. And one of my sisters called me, and we were talking on the phone. And I, I love both of my sisters dearly. My sister Faith just calls me probably just every day, every other day. And uh, if I don't talk to her, the next time I talk to her, she's going to remind me that I didn't talk to her the day that she called. And uh, one day she was talking to me and getting on me about not calling her the day before and just telling me all that fun stuff that uh, is going on in her life in the eighth grade. And I began to ask her a specific question. I said, well, how, how was school? How's school been this week? And normally she goes into a long rant about how school was. But uh, this day she just stopped and paused for a minute and said, it's okay. I said, just okay? She said, yes, just okay. And she tried to divert the subject and change the subject to something else. And I said, well, let's, let's talk about that a little more. Why was it just okay? And she told me about something that had happened at school that really disturbed her. She said that there were a group of ladies who were close friends, and that one of the girls that was in the group was jealous of another girl, and everybody knew it. So this girl went to this, the rest that was in this group and started a horrible rumor about the other girl. And it caused friction between the girl and the rest of the group. And Faith began to tell me that as a result of it, one day the young lady who was being uh, persecuted, so to speak, by the other girl and the rest of the girls in the group had glue uh, put all in her hair. One of the young ladies, while she was at lunch, just walked up, snuck up behind her, and just poured glue in her hair. And the young girl had to have all of her hair cut off and removed. And it's really bothered my youngest sister. And I want to tell you that it happened because of a whisper. It happened because of a, a rumor. It happened because one young lady was jealous of the other and wanted to literally destroy the other's life. Now, we, when we hear stories like this, we must recognize it for what it is. 
It is a demonic attack. Whenever someone uses their tongue to destroy another person, Satan is behind it. And what we call that is slander. Well, here in James chapter chapter 4, verse 11, we see James saying, do not speak evil against one another. Now, do not speak evil against one another. James, in these two verses, used that term three times. In the Greek, that word speak evil against another is the word kataleo, kataleo, and it means to slander. It means to deform someone's character. It's what we call here in the United States, defamation of character. And defamation of character is when a person speaks or attacks the reputation of someone else by publishing false and malicious things that slander and that injure. And James is saying, do not slander, do not deform another brother's character. Notice he said, speaks evil against. Do not do it. Satan wants us in the body of Christ, to be just like the world. He wants us to not be able to express ourselves in a way that glorifies God. He wants us to use our tongue to to tear down our wives and to tear down our husbands and to tear down other Christians. He wants us to allow Satan to use our tongue to start fires. And James says, do not speak evil. Do not allow Satan to allow you to slander the reputation of another person. James is picking up on a theme that is caught throughout the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that Satan, whose name means accuser, (laughs) whose very name means slanderer, is found in the Garden of Eden talking to Eve about God. And what is he doing in the Garden of Eden as he's talking to Eve about God? He is deforming God's character. He causes Eve to doubt, and he says, did God not say? And he twists God's words. And then after Eve responded, he responds by saying that the real reason why God does not want you to eat the tree of the tree that is in the middle of the garden is because God knows that then you will be just like him. Satan is a slanderer. He likes to take false information and tell it to another person in order that destruction would come about, in order that disorder would come about. And in fact, we learn in chapter 3, verse 17 through 18, that a person who allows their mouth to slander someone else is a person who is operating in human wisdom, is a person who is earthly, is a person who is not operating in heaven wisdom. In Revelation chapter 12, we read, the Bible says that Satan's job that Satan stands before the throne of God daily accusing the brethren. Satan's job is to stand before God daily and remind God of how imperfect we are as Christians. He's an accuser. He's a slanderer. 
And one thing I found about, about Satan is Satan is the type of accuser. He's the type of slanderer that doesn't do it in the open. He doesn't seek to deform a person's character when that person is present or when there are a lot of people around. But rather, Satan likes to come in a whisper. <laughs> he likes to come in a, in a soft voice. He likes to come when the person can't defend themselves. John MacArthur, a famous pastor who many of us or some of us in here, we may be holding a Bible that says John MacArthur Study Bible. A wonderful pastor out of California tells a story about how he had got a phone call one day in the middle of the day and, and one of his pastor's friends called him and said, have you heard about the verbal lynching that's going to occur later on in the day? And John stopped and said, no, I haven't heard about it. He says, you haven't heard about it? He says, no, I haven't heard about it. He says, yes, there is a a, a conference call that's going to take place tonight and all the pastors in California who don't like your ministry are going to come on a conference call and they're going to talk about what particularly about your ministry they don't like. He said, really? He said, yes, all the pastors know about it. So he said, well, give me the phone number to the person who's heading this conference call. And John MacArthur gets on the phone and he calls the person and he says, I heard that tonight you guys will be discussing my ministry and talking about the, the areas that I fall short and what you don't like about my ministry. And the guy said, yes, that's true. He said, well, can I come? Can I dial in as well? He said, no, we prefer you not be able to hear it. <laughs> John said, I'll tell you what. You guys can come down to my church later, and I can have a question and answer session, and you can ask me anything you want about why I take the stances that I take. He said, the guy said once again, no thank you, and hung up the phone. Isn't that funny? Isn't that how Satan wor works? <laughs> Satan does not want us to be able to have open and honest communication with one another. But rather, Satan would rather us not be present, not to confront one another in order that things can get stirred up. In fact, the proverb says this, these words, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17 says, the one who states his case seems right until the other one comes along and examines it. You know, I found that to be so true in my life, and I'm sure you found that to be true in your life. Someone comes to you and they're talking about another person. They're telling you about what another person did and how another person acted and how uh, uh, this person is just this horrible, horrible person and they don't love you and they don't care about you. And then they seem right and you're upset with them and you say, I can't believe that they would do that to you. But then sometime later, you have a conversation with the other person and you see that the story really... <laughs> was not presented in a true way. We have to be careful and make sure that we are not allowing Satan to cause us to deform someone else's character, to call us to speak evil against another person. God has created us to be the body of Christ. He's created us to be his people, and he wants this church and, and every church to be a place that displays his character. And his character is not the character of a slander. In fact, that's what I like so much about God. I like about God that when I take something to God, I don't have to worry about God taking it and telling it to somebody else. And I also like about God, 
is that throughout the scriptures, God does not go and whisper something to another person about another person, but rather God goes to that person themselves or sends a prophet and that prophet goes to that people. God is not a slanderer. Today, James challenges us to use our tongue once again to glorify God. And I believe that there's four things that James emphasizes in his text that I want to draw out really quickly in order that we can continue to control the meanest member and glorify God with our speech. And the first is found in verse 11. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against, who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. I want to pause right there. James put an emphasis here on the word brother in Greek, the word adalpha. And what he's doing here is he's showing us that if we are going to glorify God with our lips, that we must know or we should know what that person should mean to us and does mean to God. What the person should mean to us and does mean to God. When we speak against another Christian, we are missing something that is important and really integral in our, in our growth, in our relationship with God. He says, brother, repeatedly in verse 11, in order to emphasize that this person should mean a lot to us. A person whom God has saved, a person whom God has delivered, a person whom God has adopted into his family should mean a lot to people whom God has saved, to people whom God have adopted, to people whom God has purchased. We are brothers. Now, this term that James uses, when he uses this term brothers specifically here in this context, he's not just talking about men. He's using the term brothers in the same way that we use the term guys. You walk into a room full of people and you say, what's up, guys? They're just talking about the guys. There can be some ladies there, too. So he's saying that we should be careful not to speak evil against our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because they should mean a lot to us. There should be a special connection between two people who both profess Jesus Christ as Lord. There should be a, a deep intimacy that's automatically there as a result when someone gets uh, testifies to you that they believe that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, that Jesus Christ walked the earth for 30 years and was sinless, that Jesus Christ died upon Calvary's Golgotha's hill and, and substituted himself for us and allowed God to satisfy himself by bruising his own son. There should be a special feeling of, of intimacy when we hear someone saying that they believe that Jesus was resurrected and that he did ascend into heaven and that he is now seated on the right hand of God making intercessors for me and for you. There should be a special feeling. We should remind ourselves that that person has now come into the fold and the way that they came into the fold was not as a result of their own works but it was a result of grace 
and God giving them the faith to do something. There should be a special relationship and a special reminder that this person is a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that has been set aside, that has been called out to shout forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. James says, my brothers, my sisters, you should know that this person whom you are tempted to speak evil against when they are not present, you should know that God has done a work in their life, that they were not, they once were not a people, but that they now are God's people, that they once did not have mercy, and that they are now the recipients of mercy. James is saying this fighting, this squandering that goes on between believers, it shouldn't happen because you are brothers. You have been adopted into the same family. Now, for some of us, that's hard for us to get with because our natural families are in such a chaotic state. (laughs) And I'm going to say for most of us, amen. Uh, the, The natural family, there's a lot of natural family drama. In fact, there's very few families that don't have some type of drama going on somewhere. And and I don't get discouraged because as I read the scriptures, the Bible says that Jesus' natural family had some issues. In fact, when he was walking the earth, they often called him crazy. His own brothers. In fact, the very writer of this book. James is saying, when I became a brother, I had a a special intimate relationship (laughs) with the other brothers. And now I I have vowed, I have resolved to to never speak evil against them because of what they should mean to me. Have you made that resolve? Have you made that resolve to not speak evil against your husband, to your sisters, to your mother, to your cousins, to to, to Bebe and... uh, Nuke, nuke in them. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Nuke, nuke got away from me right there. Amen. Have you made that resolve? Man, have you made that resolve to never to speak evil against your wife in order that someone would be able to sympathize with you or to speak evil against another brother in the church, to speak evil against them? But there's a second part of that point. Number one, it says... What, it should, what that person should mean to us and does mean to God. What does this person mean to God? The people whom God saves means everything to God. In fact, throughout the scripture, he calls them his children. His children. James says we should not speak evil against that person, against the, the brothers, Not only are they my brothers and sisters in Christ, but they are God's children. When Nia was born, my firstborn was born uh, about seven weeks ago, and I remember her first doctor's appointment. Uh, She was born a healthy baby. And by healthy, I mean size-wise, amen. It was 8.5 ounces. And, uh, you know, that was my first experience of really seeing and, and, and holding on to a newborn, and when she came out, I looked at her, I said, She's, is she supposed to be this big? Amen. 
And uh, I just was praising God. I had a hair full of hair. was very alert. I was very happy about that. So our first doctor's appointment, uh, we took her in to the doctor. And sitting beside us was another woman who had just had a, a child as well. And she said, oh, how old is your baby? And I said, well, yes. And the guy said, man, she's about, what, two months? <laughs> I said, no, she's about four days old. <laughs> so the guy began to make a little wise card. He said, well, I sure don't want her to get in a fight with my child. You know? <laughs> and I said, okay, that was, that was funny. Then he made another joke. I said, all right, two's cool. And then I gave him that father look. <laughs> That's right. You only get two jokes against my child. <laughs> Before I react, amen. <laughs> Why? Because that's my child. All right. So the Lord blessed me with who the Lord allowed me to see in, in a, the image of, of me and my wife. God says when we speak evil against another person, not, let's not even bring up a Christian, but when we speak evil against anyone, we speak against the one whom God has formed, whom God has created, who is made ultimately in his image, and God is not okay with that. Whoever it is in God's sight is, 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 is beautiful. He's the one that gives us the shape of our eyes and the shape of our nose and the shape of our lips and the, the, the shape of our, our body. He's the one who, who formed us and who intricately made us and who knew us before we were even placed in our mother's womb. And, and, and James was saying, I, I dare you to talk evil against someone, let alone to speak evil against a brother, the one whom God allowed and thought about and who predestined before the foundation of the earth. I dare you to speak evil against the one whom I allowed my son to come and to humble himself and to put on human flesh and to die and to take whips for them. I, I dare you to speak evil of the one whom I have purchased, my child. Matthew chapter 18, we read these words. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 5. Read about how Jesus cares about his child his children. The word says, and at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so often, I just wish Jesus had just said, none of y'all. <laughs> but he didn't, amen. <laughs> Constantly asking this question to him, amen. But this time he says, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say unto you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. See how much Jesus cares about his children? Jesus says, 
That the greatest in the kingdom is the one who humbles himself as a child, is the one who is constantly coming to me as a child. He's not talking about as a physical child. He's talking about in spirit, a person who is poor in spirit, a person who mourns over their unrighteousness, a person who is constantly crying out to the Lord, like Paul said in Romans chapter 8, Abba, Father, is a person who depends on God more than themselves, who realizes they cannot save themselves, that their works is not good enough, but is the person who, who accepts him by faith. And who believes in him by faith. He said, this person is a child. And the one who offends one of my child, the one who offends the one who is saved by grace through faith, the one who offends this person, he says, better that person die a horrible death. I think there's a call from the Lord today directly to our hearts. And that call to the Lord today is to remind us how much he loves us and to remind us that we should daily remind ourselves as we deal with each other yes we're all sinners yes we all fall short of the glory of God yes there's some things about me that annoy you and there may be some things about you that annoy me but there's a bigger yes and the bigger yes is yes we are God's children Paul throughout his letter says bear with one Another. Second thing we see in this text that James is emphasizing that we ought to remember. We ought to remember that when we defame people, we speak against God's royal law. When we defame people, we speak against God's royal law. Look at the text. Verse 11, the B clause. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. And judges the law. What is James talking about? Turn to James chapter 2, verse 8. And we'll see what law he's talking about. Is he talking about the Mosaic law? No, he's not talking about the Mosaic law. He's talking about a, a specific law that he has... Uh, kind of introduced, a principle that he has introduced or reintroduced to the believers as Jesus introduced it before. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. You are doing well. The royal law The law that James is saying, James is saying that that when we speak evil against a brother, when we judge a brother, by judge he means to condemn a brother. When we speak about a brother as if they're already condemned, as if they're headed to hell, as if they are are nothing or as if they are less than, than a child of God, as if they mean nothing to us. He says when you do that, you judge the royal law, you judge the law of God. In other words, you set yourself above the law that says, love your neighbor as yourself. It means that you set yourself in the position of God where you say, that applies to everyone else, but that does not apply to me. He says that when you gossip, when we slander, we set ourselves on a throne, so to speak, and we look down at what God has said, and we says, this means little to me. God has called us to love. 
In fact, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? They hoped to trip him up. And he went back to Moses and what Moses said in, 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 uh, Gen- in, I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter uh, 6, when Moses says that you should love the Lord your God in Deuteronomy chapter 6 with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. And Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, the greatest commandment, if you love the Lord your God with everything that you have, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, he told him, he says, you fulfill all the law of Moses and all the law of the prophets. He says that the, the law of love transcends or, or embodies every other law that God has ever made. Think about Exodus chapter 20 when God revealed himself to the Israelites on the, on the bottom of Mount Sinai when he gave them the, the Ten Commandments. Think about what the t- Ten Commandments are. The Ten Commandments are a, a, a way to show God that we love him. The first commandment tells us that, that we should have no other gods before him. What is God saying? He's saying that we should learn to love him exclusively. <laughs> That there should be no other gods before him. He tells us that we should not make idols and we shouldn't bow down to another god. We love God by recognizing that God is a jealous God. We should remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We, we love God by spending time with him and by giving him a large group of our time to worship him. And then we see the last six commandments. They all talk about loving other people. Honor your mother and father. We love other people by honoring people who are put in authority over us. Do not murder. We love people by not killing people. Do not steal. We love people by not taking from people. Do not covet. We love people by not being jealous to the point of wanting exactly what they have. So James is saying that when we speak evil against our brother, what we are doing is we are failing to love them, and we are failing to love them because we have exalted ourselves to a position to judge God's law and say that it means nothing to us. We have been called as Christians to love in a radical way, in a crazy way, in a ridiculous way. In fact, out of all the qualities that a Christian has, the greatest quality should be love. The Bible testifies of it all the time. If a person does not love, a person cannot be in Christ. For we love because of the love that was displayed upon Calvary's cross. That's the greatest picture of love. And when we are Christian, we're saying that we have received that love as a result of the Holy Spirit working on our hearts. That's why John said... How can you say that you love God? How can you say that you love God whom you do not see? How can you say you love God whom you do not see and you cannot love your brother whom you do see? They say, that's an oxymoron. That's a joke. Can't do that. Somebody say, you can't do that. John said, you will know them. by the love that they have, one for another. You will know them by their bumper sticker, no? (laughs) You will know them by the the picket lines that they are part of, no? You will love them by the scriptures that they've memorized, no? You will love them by how eloquent they speak and how wonderful they preach, no? You will will love them by the way that they shout and the way that they say, I should have bought a Honda and say that it's tongues. No, you will love them by the love, he says, that they have one for another. 
Love should be the distinguishing mark in your life and in my life. Our co-workers should, should be able to feel the love of God oozing out of us. Our family members should be able to sense that there's a, a unique way in which we love them. And sometimes love is not just a, a, a touchy feeling emotion. Sometimes love means disciplining. Amen. Amen. The Bible says that God disciplines us because he loves us. Amen. So sometimes love looks like, look, I can't hang out with you right now because you tripping. You know you should not be seeing someone outside your marriage. Amen. Martin Luther King, a great hero to, to many of us, great civil rights leader, was thrown in jail in, in Birmingham. And Birmingham in 1963 was one of the worst spots for racism. Thrown in jail. And he writes the most beautiful letter I have ever read next to the letters that my wife wrote me when we were engaged. <laughs> and while he's in the Birmingham jail, he has been put in jail for loving people. And he's being accused by the ministers in Birmingham for being an extremist. And this is how he responded in that letter. He says, not, was not Jesus an extremist for love? When he said, love your enemies and bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And was not Amos an extremist for justice? When he said, let Justice rolled down like waters and righteousness like the ever-flowing stream. Was not Paul an extremist for the Christian gospel? When he said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Was not Martin Luther an extremist when he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Was not John Bunyan an extremist when he says, I will stay in jail to the end of my days before I make a butchery of my conscience. See, the question is not, whether or not we're going to be an extremist. But the question is, what are we going to be an extremist for? God has called us to be an extremist for love. Temptations to talk about someone who has not done what we want them to do. <laughs> when a temptation to defame someone in front of another person because you want to be seen by the other person as special or more important. When a temptation to pass along information that, are, that you cannot uh, collaborate as factual, but is a good conversation maker comes up, James says, be an extremist for love. The third thing that we must remember is that when we judge, when we slander, we are attempting to play God, though highly unqualified. We are attempting to play God, though highly unqualified. James says, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. <laughs> Who can judge God's law? But God. He's saying, we're trying to be the fourth person of the Trinity. Then he goes on, verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? In other words, who do you think you are? Right. Now, I want to be clear in saying this, that when James talked about judges, you know, we have some people, 
the, the world tends to say a, a phrase when we try to talk to them about Christ or about something being wrong, they say, only God can judge me. Uh, and normally what they're saying is, you can't call me out on my sin, okay? And I, I say this, to the world, uh, our job is to call them out on their sin, is to lift up the scriptures to them, but to let them know that we were once sinners like them, and we still are sinners, but repentant sinners. Uh, so that's not necessarily true, okay? Uh, now, it's true that we can't judge them to the point of condemning them to hell. We can't say that you are, you, you might as well be in hell right now, but what we can say is if you continue to live this way, you are, are headed to hell, all right? Because that's the gospel. And then Jesus does uh, teach us in Matthew chapter 18, he tells us that as Christians, we are to hold one another accountable. So James is not saying that we can't hold one another accountable and we can't call out sin in each other's life. All right? That's our job as a church to do it. The Bible says that if your brother offends you, if your brother's doing something that is not right, he says you go to your brother, you lovingly rebuke your brother. Now notice, you're not going to someone else and saying it about your brother. You're going to your brother and you're telling your brother that this isn't right. Something's weird here. This is a sin. God's not pleased. Mm, I wouldn't do that if I was you. And if your brother does not listen to you, James says, you go and you get two others and you bring them back to him and you all hold that person accountable. And if that person continues to habitually sin and continues to go against scripture, the Bible says that then you go and you take the matter before the church. Why? Well, Paul says, because a little leaven destroys the whole lump. Well, what he means is a habitual sin, sin that is uncared for. So when a person is in a state of sinning and enjoying it, see, a Christian, we sin, but we should not enjoy it, okay? We should not enjoy it. Like Achan, when he sinned and he buried the treasure, that's how we should be, amen? We should be wanting to bury our treasure. It should not be a good thing. We should recognize that it is bad, and we should repent from it. So the Bible does tell us to, to hold people accountable. That's not what James is saying. James is not saying that we can't hold people. We are to hold each other accountable in a loving way. But James is saying that we should not look at a person and play God. Meaning that we shouldn't just look at a person and, and then all of a sudden go to another person and say, you know what? Sister so-and-so, so did today in Sunday school quote uh, Psalms 1. She quoted all six verses. But the reason why she quoted those six verses is because she was trying to show off. <laughs> that was her motive. Or, you know, my brother called me today. I ain't heard from him in two weeks. I know the only reason he called me is because he wants something from me. Now, that may be true of most people, amen. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't a great example, amen. But it's us saying that I know what's really behind this person. Even though there's no evidence, even though there's no sin that I can see, I have a right to talk negative about this person because I know something is wrong. And James is saying that we can't do that because that's our brother. We can't do that because we love them, and we can't do that because we're not God. He says, who do you think you are? Charles Swindle, a wonderful preacher, a wonderful pastor and evangelist, tells the story of how one day he was going, he was out of town going to a church and there was an elderly gentleman, a seasoned gentleman came up to him and he was with his wife. He says, sir, I want you to know that I am so glad to be here. I'm going to sit at the first, on the first row every night of this revival. I have been so excited that you were coming in town. You're my favorite preacher and to be able to see you in person, I'm just looking forward to it. And Charles Swindle says that he was excited and he was happy. And the first night of the revival, the, as he took his text and started preaching, 
he noticed that the gentleman was knocked out and he was asleep. And he went home and made mention to his wife. He says, this man came to me and said all these wonderful things, and he sleep while I preach. <laughs> Second night of the revival, he's preaching, and he noticed that the man is asleep again. Goes back to his wife and complains, third night, same results. So finally he says, tonight I'm going to call him out. I'm going to go up to him, I'm going to tell him, you waste your time coming down here and you sleep through the sermon. But right at the end of the sermon, his wife came up to him. He says, sir, I want you to know that this has meant the world to my husband. My husband is, is dying. And he should really be in a hospital right now. But he wanted to hear you preach before he died. It's funny how many times we judge people, how many times we criticize people, and we call people all kind of names without ever really asking them what's really going on. It's funny how we run and tell other people about a person and we paint them in a horrible image without ever loving them enough to think that maybe there's something else going on. James says, you're not God. I'm not God. We can't play God. And the final point that we see here is not going to be found in the text, but it's going to be found throughout the Gospels. And this is this. is when we slander, when we judge someone, we persecute Christ. We persecute Christ. In Acts chapter 9, verse 4, we see Saul, who of course is later renamed Paul. And Saul has been persecuting the church, terrorizing the church. And the Bible tells us that as Saul is going to Damascus with an edict, with, a, with permission to continue to persecute Christians, that God knocks him off his, his, his animal. And as he hits the ground, he hears the voice of Jesus, and Jesus asks him a question. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting these people. But he says, why are you putting your tongue against me? Whenever we use our tongue against a Christian, may we remind ourselves that we are not persecuting just that Christian, but we are persecuting Christ, for that Christian is a part of his body. God will give us the grace he will give us the grace to, to hear his voice in those times, to, to hear in his spirit, do not persecute me. He will give us the grace to, to remind ourselves that this person has been purchased by me. May we remind ourselves that, that the, the slanderous tongue is the reason why Christ was crucified. The Bible says that as Judas betrayed Jesus, that Jesus was taken before Cephas in the Sanhedrin, and as he stood before them, there were people who came up with false accusations against Jesus. There were people who spoke lies against Jesus because they had selfish motives and selfish 
desires. Satan was behind them, but they wanted to see Christ die because they could not do what Christ could do. And I found out that a lot of times when people come to me with garbage and when I am tempted to go to someone else with garbage about someone else, it's because I have a a, a selfish motive. And may I remind myself that when I slander, when I gossip, when I use my tongue against people and against Christians specifically, that I am using my tongue against Christ. Jamal, Jamal, why do you persecute me? But I praise God for the gospel of Jesus. For the gospel of Jesus tells us that there is no sin that is too great for Jesus to help us to overcome. And today you may be convicted and say, I am using my tongue in a horrible way. And I want to remind you of what we believe. We believe that when Jesus got up from the grave, that he was honest and that he was speaking truthfully when he said, all power in heaven and on earth is mine. We believe that no matter what our sin issue is, that no matter what we are addicted to, if we trust in Christ and turn from our sin, if we humble ourselves like a child, if we draw near to him, that he will draw near to me. The only person that can tame the tongue is the one who tamed death. The only one who can stop the power of the tongue from starting a fire is the one who one day will consume evil with fire. The only one who can stop us from whatever sin we are committing is the one who got up on the cross and who became sin for us. There is never anything too great in our lives that Jesus cannot overcome, that Jesus cannot give us the power for. And I'm so glad that I serve a Savior that is full of grace and full of mercy. If I was to count my sins and to take them before God, I know without the blood of Jesus that I will be condemned. But oh, what a God I serve, that even though I have those sins, since I put my faith and trust in Christ, that God no longer sees my sin, but he sees his son's righteousness. And now God wants me to use my tongue for his glory. And that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to use your tongue for his glory. There's enough discouragement in this world already. There's enough negativity in this world already. Use your tongue for Christ. Let the world know that we serve a redeemer. We serve a restorer. We serve the one who is greater than anyone else. The cross of Christ is our answer. The resurrection of Christ is our hope. The ascension of Christ is our promise. The power of Christ has been given to us by Christ. As we close this sermon, I want to call you to search your heart and ask the Lord, Lord, how am I using my tongue? How am I using my tongue? Let us pray. Gracious Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word, which is so true. I thank you, Father God, for your word, which sanctifies and edifies. I thank you that you desire out of us, you desire out of us, Father God, fruit. You desire out of us, Father God, the gospel to be displayed for others. You desire out of us, Father God, love that passes, Lord, the world's love. You desire out of us radical passion, Father God. I thank you, Lord, for your word. 
which tells us, Father God, to be on guard against Satan, which tells us, Father God, that your son is soon to return. And I pray, Father, that as we think about this message, as we meditate on this message throughout the day, Father, that you would remind us that you give us the grace to overcome the tongue. And that one day, Father God, you are coming back, Lord. And that day, Lord, we will no longer have to worry about taming the tongue because you will rip from us the nature of Adam and give us, Father God, the nature of your son. I thank you for conforming us to the image of your son. We are forever grateful. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. At this time, the doors of the church...